Greetings, welcome back to the podcast. This is John Saramani and today I have a very exciting topic. I don't have much time, um, which is possibly a recipe of, for disaster. Uh, so I hope I don't butcher today's topic, but I'll try to be brief. I'll try to be precise to the point and also um, I'll try to make it as interesting and pack in as much as, as I can. Um, so today's topic, as you can see from the poster, uh, some Latin phrase, um, Carthago de Lenda Est. So what does it mean? And, uh, well, where did it come from? Et cetera, et cetera. I think I'm going to get into that, but before we do, um, just like to apologize for, uh, not putting this up. Uh, on the last day of January, um, there were some complications, some uh, additional duties for me to do on that day. And so I couldn't uh, complete it and put it up. But here we are. Uh, and I have an announcement at the end. So stick, <laughs> stick until the end so you can be able to hear about that. All right. So Cathago de Lenda Est. What does it mean? Simply put, okay, it's it's an abbreviation and a truncation of a longer phrase, but what it means is in Carthage must be destroyed. So, um, who was saying it? Why was Carth Why did Carthage have to be destroyed? It was a phrase that was frequently mentioned by uh, a Roman politician, a senator, by the name Cato the Elder. Um, so he kept on saying this phrase, and this was between the Second and Third Punic War. What is Punic War? Who are Punics? You know. <laughs> so the Romans, um, or rather, let me say, the Carthaginians, uh, they were uh, seafaring people. They were traders. Obviously, uh, they are based in modern Tunis, which is the capital of Tunisia, North Africa. Um, but their real origins, remember, they're Phoenicians. They're, they're from uh, Phoenicia, which is in just a bit the north of Israel. And um, especially the city of Tyre, uh, if you know anything about Bible, um, God promised that Tyre is going to be destroyed because of the human sacrifice. It was part of their religion and also the Carthaginians. And, um, and so Tyre was destroyed by Alexander. Um, there's a very fascinating story. You'll also find it in uh, Daniel chapter 11. Um, but uh, besides that, that's the origin of the Carthaginians. They are Phoenicians by race. Um, and, and so the Romans couldn't say Phoenicians uh, because of their accent. They kept on saying Punic, you know. And so, and we know that now it's called the Punic War. Why? Because the Romans won the three wars and they get to name the war. <laughs> it's, it's, it's how it goes, right? Uh, to the victor goes the, the monuments and the myths, right? So that's a monument. Um, and so, um, and so, yes, that's where it comes from. It's, it's, it's the Roman manner of saying Phoenician and because that's how they called the Carthaginians. So who are the Carthaginians? Yes, they're, they're Phoenicians, but, it was a colony of the Phoenicians. They had moved away from Tyre. Um, even when you look at the history of Tyre, there are like two cities. 
um, they kept on moving further and further into the sea, but they were excellent traders. They had excellent merchandise, etc. And that tradition of excellence in um, in trade carries on with the Carthaginians, who form, who are now the Phoenicians, who formed a colony in what is today Tunis. Um, but that land spreads because you have farmers inland, um, and you have a mercantile interests through the seas. So they have a strong navy. And uh, but they don't have an army because they're not interested in fighting. What they usually do is they hire mercenaries, right, um, from the tribes around in North Africa, and especially from from the Greeks. And so, um, how did the Romans and the Carthaginians come to fight? Well, there was a certain Epirot king. There's a, a kingdom called Epirus in the western shores of of uh, of Greece, um, I hope you're having your map because <laughs> I'm going to be mentioning things here. So uh, his name was Pyrrhus, right? Uh, if you've ever heard the term Pyrrhic victory, that's where it comes from. It actually comes from a set of wars between Greek city uh, states and colonies uh, in the island of Sic Sicily. And uh, I hope I said that right. <laughs> and uh, south south of Italy, so Rome was just burgeoning. It was uh, moving. I'll I'll try and explain about that later. Uh, but there was some kind of a war between several Greek city states, and some of them appealed to to uh, you know the mother countries, uh, things like Sparta, the older Greek sta states uh, back at uh, Greece proper. Um, you know Athens, and now you uh, now actually you have Macedonia at that time, and Epirus. It was during the time of the Diodaki Wars. Remember when Alexander died, there uh, there was a 20, 20, 22 year civil war, which involved his generals, <laughs> including his mother, um, and um, it ended up with a majority of what he conquered being controlled by four of his generals, of his, Ptolemy took Egypt, right? Uh, Cassander took Macedonia proper, which is uh, the northern bit of of, uh, of Greece from Thessaly upwards. Um, and then you have Antigone, An Antigone, Antigone, sorry, taking what now becomes Antigone, which is Asia Minor, the proper landmass of what is today Turkey. Um, and uh, actually, whatever he gets is called uh, Phrygia, right, or Antigonea. Um, and then Seleucus takes the east, right, becomes known as the Seleucid Kingdom. So you're talking about Babylon, you're talking about Persia, all the way, because they have, they have uh, Greek... Uh, client states in what is today Afghanistan. It was called Bactria back then and many others. All right. So, so it was a huge, like it settled down onto those four guys and they kept on fighting. So it's called the Diodaki Wars. You can read more about it in uh, Daniel chapter 11. Now, Epirus is just one smaller Greek king kingdom uh, on the Western shores of, of Greece. But it's quite powerful, right? Because he has lineage to uh, supposed lineage to to Alexander, so he, it's quite a title. And he comes in to 
Sicily. 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 Oh, yeah. Sicily. <laughs> I should say it like that. Sicily. I don't know why in Ajishuku. So he comes to Sicily and he he is able to, um, uh, you know, help in this struggle between city-states and colonies uh, of Greeks in Sicily and south southern tip of the Italian peninsula. Um, and and um, and so uh, his wars are so costly, like. The reason why it's called a Pyrrhic victory is it, it describes a victory that is, yes, you won, but it has cost you so much, right? So that's what it means. And it comes from the way he conducted those wars. They are quite costly. Uh, fun fact, uh, do you know why Sicily is called Sicily? So if you travel back hundreds of years uh, to the Bronze Age collapse, which led to the first Dark Ages, um that's that led to the collapse of empires the first first empires after the flood talking about hittites and the rest uh the only people who survived were phoenicians and egyptians right and the egyptians actually were able to 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 counter the these they're called sea peoples they came invading on seas uh, and destroying everything they didn't know how to read or write they were like the barbarians of that time um and so I think this is around the time of uh, before Joseph or after, I think. I think it was after because the Egyptian kingdom was quite mag magnificent before. So, uh, yes, so it leads to a, a, a collapse, etc. But the, the, one of those sea peoples were the people called Sikols. And once they were defeated by the Egyptians, uh, some say... Uh, Moses might have been involved I'm not sure as a general of the Egyptian army but anyway um, talk about that later on a, on a later day but these sequels they, they, they're defeated by sea um, they try to land in Egypt and cause mayhem but they, they are unable to and they finally after a great battle um, they, they, they are pushed out and they go and uh, through the Mediterranean and they settle now in what is called Sicily, right? So they name it after themselves. So that's the island that is the flashpoint for the first Punic War. Uh, now let's go back. Let's go ahead to to the time we are talking about, you know, Epirus and 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 Pyrrhus. Um, and um, and so as as uh, as this civil war between Greek city states is going on, uh, Pyrrhus sees something. He sees the Carthaginians who own half of Sicily, uh, and he sees the Romans consolidating control over the Italian mainland, and he says, okay, these two guys are going to fight. And so there's this famous quote as his, as the war comes to an end and he's leaving, uh, because the Romans get involved, by the way, and and he realizes, okay, I can't, um, I can't defeat these guys. It's very costly, you know, like... Um, it it becomes the first clash between the Roman legion uh, and the Greek phalanx, um, and and it becomes a slugging match, right? And so Paris decides to withdraw, and as he's going, he says, "What a battlefield we are leaving behind for the Romans and for the Carthaginians." And so that that he could see where this was going, right? These two people had to clash. Um, 
Uh, at the same time, Greece is being distracted. But they remember, Greece is the power here. If you know your prophecy, you know Daniel chapter 7, the leopard with four heads, right? Um, Greece is, and, and, the, and even though it's, it's within four heads, as we've said, Ptolemy's Egypt and Seleucus's uh, Eastern Empire, uh, Antigonea's, uh, uh, Antigonea's, Antigonids, uh, Central Empire, and you have Cassander's Macedonia. Um, even though that's the situation, those are the powers. They are so distracted. The Diodaki was Diodaki four, right? Was between themselves. They can't see Rome ascending, but Ep the Epirot king does, King Pyrrhus. He leaves the place, and how does war begin? Begin between uh, Rome and Carthage is an eventual clash of interests. So um, I don't get into the history of how Rome was founded, but it's important to understand that the Romans um, really took pride in their in their distinctness, right, in, uh, from the Greeks. Um, one thing that is interesting is that uh, through interaction with the southern Greek city-states, they come across Greek uh, comedy, right? And the only reason this is important is because uh, the records of Greece uh, comedy that we have all come from Romans. So they, they, loved, they loved it so much, they preserved it. Uh, and, um, you know, things like a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, etc., you know. But they, they disdain it like an actor is not someone who is highly esteemed uh, in Roman society. So that's for Greeks, you know, that, you know, someone who can be hoodwinked by a slave, as it often does in some of these acting scenes in the comedies, right? So... Anyway, so there's that interaction, and and Rome wants to assert itself uh, in uh, Sicily and the southern tip of, obviously, don't control the whole of Italy. Um, but there's a problem. There's a Greek, uh, there's a Greek state by the name of Syracuse, and uh, I'll give you some homework. Uh, just Google, uh, Google some, uh, Google this phrase. Do not disturb my circles, and you'll find out what I mean, right? I won't say it, but you Google. So, so the state of Syracuse, right? And Syracuse um, had been playing off Roman Carthage in this Cold War. Uh, they, uh, they, it's it's a bit like the third world countries were doing with the U.S. and USSR, or even today the way people do between U.S. and China. Uh, you go for loans here, you go for loans here. Um, if this one's threaten you, are like, okay, but then we'll, we'll give a military base to your opponent. So something like that, playing off one superpower over there uh, against the other. Um, that's what Syracuse was doing. But it reaches a point where there's, a, there's a, a town taken over by Mamatines who... Uh, called themselves sons of Mars. And as we said, the Romans took their pride because they took the Greek gods and they renamed them, right? Um, and now Mars is the god of war. Um, and, and, and these people are saying, by calling themselves sons of Mars, they are appealing to Roman prejudices that um, 
you know, we are one of you, we are descendants, uh, one together of you, of Aeneas who, who fled the destruction of Troy. So uh, they take over a city. Sir the Syracuse tries to uh, gain control of that city. And the Mamertines, um, they appeal to Rome for help. So where is Syracuse going to go? It's going to align itself and, and appeal to Carthage for help. And this is how now the war becomes. It's a very stupid war, but that's how it begins. And that's how they begin fighting. So now it becomes, it's no longer about the, uh, you know, whatever the Mama Times were doing. They're just a, a band of rebels, right, um, with Roman roots. Now, uh, the war begins, and that's the first Punic War. Obviously, Rome wins. Um, they invent something in naval warfare called Covers. Remember, Romans didn't have a navy, but the strength of the Carthaginians was the navy. And there are interesting battles that are fought uh, on sea and on land. Um, and eventually, uh, because Romans found a way of turning a naval battle into a, into a land battle through the covers, they win. They win and they impose terms on Carthage. Uh, one of which is kicking them out from the island of Sicily. Now, that's the first Punic War. Uh, I don't get so much into it. I want to be very brief, as I said. So how do we end up with a second and a third? Uh, the second Punic War, remember, the, one of the generals of, of uh, Carthage during the first Punic War is a man from the Baca family. Now, let's look a bit at Carthage. As I said, Carthage was a republic, just like Rome, right? But Carthage was not an aristocratic Republic. It was a mercantile republic. It it was led by the greatest like financial interests, right? So as I, we mentioned, the inland you had farmers, right? On the sea you had traders who were merchantmen, uh, the people with the boats who travel, um, you know, uh, peddling their wares. Uh, very expensive things, you know, uh, rich linen, etc., just like the Phoenicians were known for. And and so, and then you also have, you have, you have various cliques of traders, and those are kind of like the factions or the political parties uh, in, in the Carthaginian Republic. Um, Carthage, uh, one of them was the Baca family, right? And the Baca family... Uh, they have this long-running feud with, because uh, they they they're not in the trader uh, section. They're not. Um, they're more of the land-owning uh, farmer um, faction, um, and obviously there's going to be feuds between them. And w one of the generals was a senator. Uh, I believe the name is Hamilcar. I, I believe, uh, if I'm not wrong. Now, after after their defeat in the first Punic War, uh, the Barker family decide, okay, um, let's turn our attention to Spain, and that's where they go conquering the various um, Gaelic tribes in in the Spanish mountains, uh, which is more land for for Carthage. But remember, them they they have financial interests there, but then it seems like it's not merely financial interest because. Um, so, uh, 
uh, he has a son by the name of of uh, Hannibal and a very young boy and he takes him to the to the temple of Balaam you remember Balaam from the bible remember uh you remember king Ahab's wife right she was a Phoenician and during that time of king Ahab uh, she was able to get king Ahab to that was Jezebel right uh she was able to get king Ahab to institute Balaam worship right so this is the god of the Phoenicians so Hannibal is taken to a temple of Balaam and he he witnesses a human sacrifice i think it was a girl but more frequently it was for boys i'll have to check on that uh and he's terrified by it and he's made to swear uh that he's going to be the eternal enemy of rome and so uh this is how it begins and and he's being trained by his father uh you know geopolitics and war and all these things and they found obviously you know i'm going to say this uh it is the baka family that founded the city of barcelona that's where it gets its name right so um that was the head, that was a city that they founded in off the spanish coast and there's a war now that begins the second punic war when uh hannibal has grown up he's in charge and there's a scaffold on the border between uh uh Carthaginians on the Spanish border between uh, the sphere of influence of Rome and some client state of of Carthage and that leads now to the second Punic War where the Romans are like uh, if you don't hand over Hannibal to be prosecuted by a Roman court then the, a state of war will exist between Carthage and between Rome and obviously the Carthaginian senate is like what 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 are these who do these people think they are now rome is a very martial society unlike carthage and hannibal knows this and he he's quite serious and he knows that unless he strikes um he he knows rome's weakness is there are many vassal states uh whether in the north of italy or central and so what he wants to do is take an army of 50,000 men uh and march across the pyrenees which is between spain and modern spain and modern france go through gaelic t territory hostile gaelic territory through the alps into north of italy and begin a war against rome and that's what he does you know and the funny thing is he manages to do that in the dead of winter with elephants because the Carthaginians used war elephants, right? And it was terrifying because imagine an elephant running at you and, <laughs> and all you have are uh, shields and spears and, and swords. It becomes very hard to fight. But that's what he does. And when he gets to the Roman mainland, uh, there are interesting battles, the Battle of the Trebia River, 218 BC, where he destroys uh, a Roman army captures i don't know how many standards and um, uh, i believe even kills uh, two consuls no he kills one consul one flees um and and then um it's a it's a very interesting i wish i okay i got the details in the book because you you can just pass over this thing 
um, how he was able to lure them, his his battle tactics, how he was thinking, um, and um, and 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 now Romans are like what? How? And by the way, he doesn't come over with all fifty k guys, right? Um, but I won't get into details. So then there's the battle next year. He fights the battle of like Trasimene, which is at the center of of Italy. He's moving south towards Rome. Um, and over there, he complete. He now kills two consuls. Consuls are like presidents. Rome elected uh, consuls every year, um, non non-consec- consecutive, um, uh, you know, terms. So you you serve for a year. You're out for five years. Then you can vie again. Um, it's 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 crazy the amount of people who died there. It was so packed. The way he had. Um, the way he had, uh, like he was a military genius, this guy, the way he fought that battle. And he packed in, I believe, 50,000 guys died. Um, if I'm not wrong, yes, 50,000 soldiers died, Roman soldiers. Like, it was, like and he was able to uh, maneuver in such a way that he could press them against the lake so much until they were so pressed together in the fighting that they couldn't even you know use their swords and some tried to go to the lake and they drowned and those were others were on their knees in the lake pleading and they were cut down like that it was amazing the kind of military genius this guy had obviously he tries to siege rome but he doesn't have an enough army and he was banking on roman client states abandoning rome which they couldn't and there's a reason why uh which i go to in the book before how rome was able to solidify a bit of it was the first instance of globalization, um, giving the the vote to people who don't like you know other tribes and other, which is something that hadn't happened before, right? Uh, treating them like equal citizens, and this is how now Rome models America as a as a modern republic, right? So um, part of it was that, part of it was also the reprisal they feared, even though Rome was was looking like at the end, like it's a on its last legs and finally when he was unable to do that he was going around in a scorched earth policy he ended up with the battle of Cannae, which if you have not heard then you have not read history <laughs> the next year 216 bc um i believe a hundred thousand romans were killed in that one battle that is crazy it has similar tactics to uh, shaka zulu's uh, bullhorn tactic tactics um so you can check that out it's very interesting um but eventually obviously uh rome rome is never gives up like if if any other country had lost that much they would give up but rome didn't and couldn't you know you can't beat rome that is a that's the thing who can who can fight against that right who can wage war against that uh, if you know if you know you know right as the bible says right who can wage war? Who can fight against Rome? So eventually, the Romans take the battle to Carthage um, because they realize, oh, uh, you know, uh, Hannibal is just a nuisance. And and eventually, because um, uh, okay, let me let me not get those details. But eventually, there's a war in North Africa near outside Carthage in a place called Zama, where uh, Hannibal and 
Scipio Melius, now called Africanus, because he conquered Africa. So if you conquer a place, you're named after it, uh, according to Roman tradition. Scipio Africanus, uh, the fight. And they kind of respected each other. Scipio was a very uh, intelligent general as well. He was a young guy. I believe he was, was he 21, I think. But he came from a very, very uh, notable Roman uh, patrician family. Um, and um, a long line of honorable men. And eventually you have, he's the one who defeated uh, Hannibal's brother in Spain before they could take the fight to, to North Africa. And uh, Carthage, uh, you know, with mercenaries, you can do it. And 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 actually, Scipio made sure to have uh, survivors of of Kanae, uh in 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 his lineup, right? So these people are out for revenge. And during the Battle of Zama, obviously, um, the he tries hard, but he's unable to break. Um, the Roman armies and uh, and uh, and and Carthage is defeated a second time. Um, very punitive measures are put on 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 Carthage from Rome um, to effect that they basically broken the Carthaginian Empire, and um, they are not allowed to do anything without Roman any uh, Roman. Um, you know, approval the, of the of the Senate at Rome. Um, it is between this time now that Cato the Elder begins saying Carthago de Lenda est, and he's saying, you know, if if you leave them alone, they are going to destroy you eventually. And and um, him he wants not even in Rome wanted that, but him he wanted to destroy Carthage once and for all completely. Because he could sense that these people, they wanted revenge. So Carthage obviously uh, was was disallowed in the priesthood. was disallowed from having, uh, you know, mills for making weapons and etc. And so that's what happens. Um, but rumors begin, you know, going around that, oh, they're, they're, they're manufacturing swords. They're, they're, they're preparing for war. And so every time... Uh, Cato makes a speech he ends it with that phrase Carthago de Lenda Est whether he's talking about you know uh, laws on sanitation whether it's it's a speech in, in a wedding whatever whenever he speaks <laughs> he says Carthago de Lenda Est and that's what happens eventually uh, Rome is destroyed and um, uh, you, you've you've heard of Salt Bay right like sprinkling salt so that's where it comes from really because they they totally destroy uh carthage and they sprinkle it with salt so that it can no longer it can never be inhabitable you can't plant anything etc so that's how it is with the second and third punic war now you're obviously wondering what does this have to do with bible prophecy with the u.s the u.s is the Rome of today. Just like Rome, America began as a republic, right? And just like Rome, America, uh, the American Republic began as a revolt against kings, against the idea of monarchy. 
And so they were so afraid of monarchy, they ended up setting up a constitutional republic. The, 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 the Romans borrowed a bit of their constitution from the Spartans, who had two kings at any one time and a senate advising them. So the Romans, they didn't like one-man power. They had two presidents, two consuls, who served one-year terms, as I've said before. Um, and in the Senate, the, um, uh, America as well, um, being afraid of monarchy, of the British monarch, etc., etc., you know, like there those similarities. Um, you get the point, right? So America is the Rome of today. And America is mirroring the um, the history and development of the Roman Republic, right? So in the Bible prophecy in Revelation chapter 13, uh, we are told of the second beast. Everyone knows about the first beast, the one with the, the, the mark of the beast, right? It's, it's the mark of the first beast. But people normally don't think about the second beast, right? So in Daniel 7, 24, we inform that a beast is a kingdom. So there's no guessing about it, right? A beast is a kingdom in Bible prophecy. That's what it represents, 7.17 and 7.24, Daniel. And so the first beast, uh, maybe we'll talk about it another day, but the second beast uh, is representative of the United States of America. It comes out from the land, unlike the first beast, it comes out from the sea. And in Bible prophecy, the sea uh, represents a multitude of people. Um, the the land therefore represents a place where it's like the new world, right? A place where uh, was previously not so much inhabited. So we're talking about um, the first beast being a kingdom that resides in the known world. We're talking about Europe, right? And uh, the the second beast is a is is a kingdom or a nation that comes up from the new world, right? Uh, the unknown world at that time, which would be the Americas. Um, and this kingdom has two horns like a lamb. The lamb is representative of Jesus, right? Um, so um, it has two principles for government that are uh, representative of gospel freedom. And what are those? Protestantism and republicanism now many people in my own denomination they put so much knowledge and emphasis on protestantism and not so much on republicanism those are two uh, those are two coin two sides of of the same coin right if you take protest protestantism uh, the principles of protestantism and you kind of uh, morph them into civic principles what you'd get is republicanism. And the, the point of both is the, the right and freedom of the individual in spiritual and civil matters, right? So in, a, in republicanism, uh, a republic is different from a democracy. Um, and, okay, a democracy is majority rule. So if majority want even like a bad thing, then they may have it, right? Which is... Like if, if they want um, dictatorship, 
right? That's kind of weird. If they want to to destroy the rights of the minority, they may do so in a democracy. But in a republic, the democratic power of the majority is equated to that of the minority through a set of agreed laws, or what you may call pre-laws, laws that are pre-law. So it's a constitution that sets out how the laws are set up. And through that constitution, we all find our equality to one another, right? It's expressive of our equal rights. So that's what a republic is. A republic is the rule of law, uh, just law, right? Um, any uh, law that is good, that equates the rights of everyone. A democracy is the rule of the majority. So in a republic, the majority do rule, but they rule in such a way that um, they cannot infringe on the rights of the minority. And that's what a republic is. And that's how uh, America and Rome uh, began. But we know in history that, uh, that and that's what republicanism is. Uh, is um and then you have protestantism so ideally just basically what you have is protestantism is a church without a pope you know without a one-man ruler without this system of controlling consciences and then a republic is uh, a nation without a king right so if you take a king and you turn it into a religious institution it would be the pope right that's what it is so the polar opposites are Protestant and Republic. Now, um, and so this is purely America. This is uh, America itself because uh, every other nation um, that was coming up at the end of the 1260 prophetic years uh, were, uh, was Catholic in the, in the Western Hemisphere. It was Catholic. It was not based on those two principles, right? Um, and so, uh, America is this country, the five in Bible prophecy, and that was prophesied. So the 1260 prophetic years come to an end in 1798, and I'll be happy to send a study to anyone who wants to know more about that. Um, but um, America is that power. It mirrors Rome. In what way? How did Rome... Remember, Rome is fighting for its interests, right? They want to control the grain farm farms of, of Sicily. They want to uh, bring more clients into their sphere of influence. And they want to destroy any enemy that they can find. But there is this cold war between Rome and Carthage that happens prior to Pyrrhus coming there. And he notices it as he leaves, and he makes mention of it, right? That this cold war is going to turn hot. Now, this is similar to two instances in modern history. Number one, the cold war between U.S. and U.S.S.R., um, and more recently between U.S. and China. Um, it seems cold right now, but the possibility of it turning hot is very much alive, right? And just like that, you know, like people used to wonder, okay, if you have China, you know, China is going to, according to Bible prophecy, China will not uh, overtake the U.S. That is the fact. In, in terms of power and economy, remember, U.S. is Rome. And even though um, Hannibal 
may seem to destroy 50,000 in Trasimen and 100,000 in Kana. And it seems like Rome is on, is on its last legs. Rome will persevere and it will fight to the end. And so, um, so there are these parallels in history that find their fulfillment in prophecy. And as we look at the world today, with what is going on, you must remember the spirit of empire building that was in Rome is the same spirit that has developed in America. The American empire is not like, as you may say, like the British empire as it was before it. And by the way, the Brits actually represent the Greeks uh, because Rome got its culture and its systems from Greece. So did America, right? They, they got it from England together with their language. But um, you have an empire that is, it's, it's a different way of doing empire. It's not um, one of territorialism, of controlling land. It's simply one of, um, number one, financial uh, control. But number two, I'd just like to mention something um, about how they, they are able to, to flaunt their military uh, dominance, uh, especially now after they dealt with, with Carthage in the, in the West, and uh, they decided to look east to the Greek states, which were in decline because of all those Dardaki wars and they're fighting against uh, each other. Um, I like to to get some sorry some quote um, that will put things into perspective. So this book is uh, the Two Republics by by. Uh, Alonzo T. Jones. Alonzo T. Jones was a second generation uh, Seventh-day Adventist. And he was able to, to trace these prophetic lines in history. And uh, he says this. Uh, let, me, let me... Okay, this is page 19, I believe, or 18. He says, in the Second Punic War, Rome's victories had reduced the mighty Carthage um, to the condition of a mere mercantile town. And within a few years afterward, she had spread her conquests around the whole coasts of the Mediterranean Sea and had made herself the supreme tribunal in the last resort between kings and nations. That last part he's quoting from a historian. And so what, what, what that historian mentions is that um Rome was like, okay, you're having is there a battle is there are, are Shia and Shia and Sunni Muslims arguing? Okay, we're going to come and adjudicate, right? We're going to try and uh, is Israel and Palestine, you know, fighting? You know, we want a peace deal, you know, we want to spread democracy. Um and at the end of it all, what the what the Romans would do is they would essentially turn you into client states. But eventually they'll be like, okay, why don't you come to Rome uh, whenever you have um, a dispute? We're going to finance you. We're going to finance this peace deal. Uh, we're going to make sure this one has enough money. This one has enough money. And, you know, because we are not one of you, we're going to be impartial in how we do this. And eventually as you come, 
to run for those peace deals, they start giving you commands. They're like, as if you're a prophet, right? And before you know it, they're like, if you don't do what we are saying, we are going to destroy you. We have some armies here around you. We have military bases all around. And eventually that's how Rome, without conquering, the Bible says, through subtlety, uh, through peace, he shall destroy many. That is the Roman policy, through his policy. That's Daniel chapter 8, uh, talks about it like that. Um, through his policy, you know, and through peace, he shall destroy many. So it's, it's, it's a policy of uh, a mix of sovereignty, a play. Like the first time when these geopolitical uh, war games uh, began ha happening, right? And in my understanding, I, I can see that the devil is using this as a training ground for how he'd like the world to be at the end of time. Um, and so that is how it be, how, that, that is how it developed. That's how Rome eventually began the march towards empire and how America, as you can see today, is moving towards empire. It's just the same, same mirror. And I'll finish with this. Rome began as a republic, right? It ended up as an empire, right? Eventually, that empire was destroyed by, by barbarians. And it turns into the papal Roman Catholic papacy, right? And we are told that the second beast, which we have identified as the U.S., will form an image or a copy of the first beast, which is the Roman Catholic papacy. Which means that America too began as a republic, became the most powerful country, but because of uh, its falling under the footsteps of Rome, it, uh, America itself will move to a place where it will become an empire and finally switch over to forming an image of the Roman Catholic papacy, a copy. So the first one, Rome founded there, eventually became the Roman Catholic papacy, and the Second Republic will form an image, a copy of the Roman Catholic papacy. This time, though, it will be Protestants who will be doing the Inquisition. That is the, that is the testimony of prophecy. So if you want to know more, uh, my email is on the website, by the way. Uh, you can get in touch, we'll talk. And um, I hope I'll have more time for, for details next time. Um, so my announcement is simply, I got together with some friends. We want to do, to enlarge this podcast. Um, and uh, I'll be unveiling who these people are later uh, in a very interesting way. And also to imp improve the sound quality, you're going to be looking for a place to do this. Uh, but eventually, it's going to be quite interesting to have other minds. Um, and also quite interesting for, for interviews, right? So this will be, hopefully next month, I'll be able to do that. Uh, but until then, stay safe and God bless you.